I used to teach people how to pace themselves for marathons. And it was suddenly when I was in this hospital bed and I couldn't run all these feelings of shame that I had ran from all were like in my face. And I had to learn how to, to heal that. And so the first thing that you can do if you have shame is like be in radical acceptance, then really shine a light on it. Just be willing to love those parts of yourself, reach out to others because so many of us have those same feelings. And when you know you're not alone in that journey, it gives you strength. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 514 with guest Amberly Lago. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am pumped for today's guest. Amberly Lago is pretty much a badass. This woman got into a terrible accident, went through unimaginable physical pain, also decided to get sober. Her story is incredible. And anyway, anyway, before I get too ahead of myself, hi, I'm so grateful you're here. How are you? I hope you have been having an amazing day. I hope you're having a great workout if that's what you're doing, or you're getting all green lights if you're driving, or if you're doing laundry or household things. I hope they're going easy for you and you are also getting some rest and taking care of yourself. Speaking of taking care of yourself, we are going to open doors in the next couple of weeks for the Daring Way online group. You might have heard me talking about it over the last handful of weeks. Head on over to andreaowen.com slash group if you want to be the first one, the first group of people who are going to be notified when I open registration because there is going to be special pricing for you all. And I have to cap it at 14 people. I really need you to know that. Know that if you're interested in this group because it's not unlimited seating. And I just, I love this work so much. It's the methodology based on the research of Brene Brown. I've been certified in facilitating this work for almost nine years. It, you, you can read all about the key takeaways on that page, andreaowen.com slash group. And that's where you can also sign up to be notified. And because it's online, it's more affordable than coming to a retreat with me. I am going to host one at the end of this year if you are interested in that. But this is a, more affordable and logistically a little bit easier for people to attend. So let's get into today's guest. Let me tell you about her if you are unfamiliar with Amberly. Amberly Lago is a peak performance coach, TEDx speaker, podcaster, and a leading expert in the field of resilience and transformation. She is the best selling author of True Grit and Grace and the founder of Unstoppable Life Mastermind. Through her book, Coaching Methods and Masterminds, she has curated unique tools to teach others how to tap into their superpower of resilience and elevate their lives and businesses. Amberly has most recently been featured on NBC's The Today Show, The Doctor, Hallmark and featured in magazines 
like Shape, Fit Pregnancy, Yahoo, Forbes, USA Today, LA Style, Health Magazine, Keynote Speaker Magazine, and Disability Magazine. So without further ado, here is Amberly. Amberly, thank you so much for being here. Oh my goodness. Thank you for having me. I just love talking with you. We we got to talking and I'm like, we oh yeah, we're recording a podcast. We, it, was one of, it was one of those calls. <laughs> well, I can't believe it's taken me this long to have you on my show. You have so many, we have a lot of overlap in our stories and you are just the exact type of person that I know my audience is going to love. And I have so many questions that I want to ask you because your story is new to me. I followed you on Instagram for a while, but I don't know like the intricacies and the ins and outs of your of your um, amazing resilience and and all of that. But I because we're on the theme of recovery right now, can, let's start with that part. Like, tell us briefly about your um like i don't know anything like were you deep in your addiction did you have a high bottom like kind of give us the brief summary of like when you realized it was a problem and and how you stopped oh yeah there was so much shame around that i was never a partier i was never somebody that was even a drinker so i was i'm an alcoholic i got sober in 2016 you know, I always thought I was so different from so many people in my family that have addiction, addictions. And I realized addiction doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. Uh, it, it can come out and get you. And for me, my addiction started with, I had, you know, a motorcycle accident which I was in a coma, woke up from a coma, and I had a 1% chance of saving my leg from amputation. And I had 34 surgeries to save my leg. And I remember once I, after about three and a half months in the hospital, the first time I was home and we had a hospital bed in, in the living room downstairs. And I had a nurse that would come over every day to change my bandages and she was changing my bandage. And I just had these tears rolling down my face. And she was like, did you take your pain meds? And I was like, no. And I was this kind of person who I never even took Tylenol. And I had this healthy fear of any kind of pain medication or anything like that. She goes, you have to take your medicine. It's going to help you heal. So that was a point where I was like, okay, I will try to take medicine. I'll try to get better and all these things. And so thank goodness. And I have a healthy fear of that. Thank goodness. I never got hooked on pain meds or opioids or anything like that. After my accident, I, I was in so much pain, physical pain, emotional pain, because I had lost my job. I was the main breadwinner of the family, lost my job. We had a lien on our house. We had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses. I was trying my best to get back to work. And I was diagnosed with this disease called complex regional pain syndrome. And it's dubbed the suicide disease because it's ranked highest on the pain scale. Well, I'd gone to several doctors that, you know, I, I didn't want to believe I had it. And I kept going to doctors to try to get one to tell me, oh, they're all wrong. You don't have this. Well, Finally, after I went to the third doctor, he was like, you have this disease and you have to take radical action to 
try to get this in remission. There's no known cure, but we have to take radical action. And so I was trying all these different invasive surgeries, procedures, treatments. I was doing, I mean, I had a spinal stimulator where they implant these metal leads into your spine to try to disrupt the pain signals. Mm -hmm. Eastern Western medicine, at one point I was on 73 homeopathic pills a day along with 11 prescriptions and nothing was working. And so I remember one day having a glass of wine and I was like, oh, wow, this kind of helps kind of calm the nerve pain. And it really helped me kind of stuff down my feelings of shame and how much I hated myself and my unworthiness and everything. And I was kind of like, why didn't the doctors just tell me to have a glass of wine every day? And I remember thinking, this is not the healthiest thing to do. I had a background in health and wellness and fitness. I was sponsored by Nike. I was doing infomercials. I had just done um, a fitness video the day before my accident. And I remember thinking, well, this isn't the healthiest thing to do to drink, but if this is what's going to help me get through every day, I guess a glass of wine won't hurt. Well, one glass of wine led to two glass, to three glass, to a whole bottle, to um, me hiding how much I was drinking no one knew how much I was drinking, but it was short-lived. In fact, the gig was up. I was the heaviest I'd ever weighed. I was bloated. It looked like you could stick a pen in me um, and I would just kind of deflate. I was so bloated, was doing my best to try to cover it up. Um, but I think everybody could see I was just not the same person I used to be. And there, it got so bad that there was one night I remember thinking, I just wanted to die. I didn't want to live anymore. And I was wanted to die, but I was too afraid to kill myself. And I'm that's really dark. And I hate to even say that, but it's the truth. And at that moment, I remember praying and thinking, there's got to be something more to life. I, this there's got to be something better. And I remember just having that little glimmer of hope after I prayed and thinking, I want to be an example of resilience for my daughters. And I want to be the victor of my life, not the victim. And it took every ounce of courage in me to actually call one of my clients who I knew was in a recovery program and she was sober. And I called her and I had so much shame and so much embarrassment. And I said, I think I have a problem. And um, I told my husband who he is retired now, but he was a Lieutenant commander with a highway patrol, which, you know, he arrested drunks. He had a whole idea and picture in his, in his mind of what somebody who's an alcoholic looked like. And I told him I said, I think I got a problem. He said, no, you don't have a problem. Anybody that's going through as much as you're going through and who lives with as much pain as you do would, would be drinking. Now, he didn't know how much I was drinking. And I knew he was embarrassed of, he had some shame of me, actually. He could, like, he's married to an alcoholic. And um, I knew deep down 
that I had a problem. And I think it's really important, any transformation, anything you want to change, you have to take a good hard look at yourself and realize. And I knew deep down that it was a problem. And if I didn't get help here, I'd survived this horrible accident and I was slowly killing myself by drinking. And so that that client that I reached out to for help, she told me she was going to take me to a meeting, a recovery meeting. Well, a week, a week went by and I didn't hear back from her. And I thought, I, I got to do something or I am going to die. And so I I Googled 12-step recovery meetings. I was like, I got to find a place where I can go get help. I needed to find a place where I could go when my husband was working and my daughter was in school. And so I went from sneaking my drinking to sneaking going (laughs) to recovery meetings. Uh But I went and in that meeting, I heard hope and I kept going back. Uh And I realized I wasn't alone. And I I prided myself for so long um, in having a PhD and suck it up and just you just suck it up, mm-hmm. you hide your crazy, you be you a must lady. Be a Gen Xer like me, like that was our motto growing up. <laughs> yeah, suck it up. And yeah. and what I realized is like suck it up only gets you so far. And if we don't let those feelings rise to the surface and we don't, you know, I got so tired of trying to deal with it and I needed to heal. It's still a process. It's still something that I work on every day. In fact, I have my big book sitting on my desk and Mm -hmm. I'm leading a meeting right after this interview. And my first meeting I ever went to, I sat in the back in the corner. Yeah. And I sat in between a nun and a cowgirl. And I thought, where the hell am I? And I (laughs) thought, well, if a nun can be an alcoholic, then so can I. It all started from there. I do my best every day to stay close and in the middle. But I'll tell you, uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, I had about five and a half years of, of sobriety. And I slipped. Thank God I, I got back and called my sponsor. I mean, I've got a sponsor, called her the very next morning and broke down in tears. And I said, I messed up. I realized, you know, I had started to let things slip. Like, I have to do the work. Faith without works is dead. It says, you know, it says that in the big book. I'd stopped kind of doing my gratitude, I'd stopped going to as many meetings. And it was a big wake-up call for me. And um, I don't take it for granted, my sobriety, because without my sobriety, I've got nothing. I don't have my relationships. I don't have this life that I've built again. And so it's been a journey. Anybody listening who's like, oh, maybe I think I might have a problem. Maybe I have a problem. I would really suggest you just get quiet and ask yourself, the questions like, are you okay? Like, yeah, do you have a problem with drinking? Because I sure did. And you know what? It You're not alone. 
And there's, there's help and there's somebody out there that's going through something similar. And that was my, my thing. You know, I thought I was going to hide my shame. I was going to stuff down all the problems and keep sucking it up. And I kind of thought, well, I've got this, this metal around my neck for sucking it up and realized that no one was there to see it. I was alone. My world went from being very big with a lot of love and connections and to very small with me living out of a bottle and being suicidal. And I don't ever want to be in that place again. And no one has to be. Um, there's help out there. And if you just reach out and ask somebody for help, that you 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 realize things that you thought were nobody could understand or the the pain, the shame, somebody else out there is going through something probably just the same or very similar. They talk about this in recovery meetings, how you know it's important to listen for the similarities in our stories rather than the differences. Because if we listen for the differences, we're always going to find them. And, you know, that somebody listening might be like, well, I didn't get into a terrible car wreck like Amberly and have to have all these really painful surgeries. Like my story is totally different. Or, you know, listening to my story, like, well, my husband didn't have an affair with our neighbor and get her pregnant. Like, you know, and it's, and then we sort of distance ourselves and it's easier that way to stay in our, whether you call it a bad habit or an addiction, (laughs) whichever, whichever label you want. I say that for people listening, put that in your back pocket because the similarities, what it usually comes down to is the way that we feel about it. And everybody has shame. Like, and it might not be around drinking or it might be not be around drugs or an accident that happened or, you know, disfigurement or whatever it is, but we all have it. I talk a lot about shame resilience, but I love hearing, hearing in in other words, people explain how they are resilient around their own shame. So how is that? What did that look like for you? It started with radical acceptance. I had so much shame. I mean, I used to be a fitness model and now I'm deformed. And I was told I'd be wheelchair bound for the rest of my life. And my leg didn't, not only gave me so much pain, it didn't work the way it was supposed to. And so I looked down at myself and I hated myself. I hated my life. I hated everything. And hate's a four-letter word in our family. So you were able to keep, I just want to be clear, you were able to keep your leg. You didn't have to have it amputated. Mm-hmm. Right, I but did it. you do? You, do you have all the feeling in it? Do you, can you walk? Like, what does that look like? I walk, and it's you know sometimes. Just recently, we went to a theme park, and I still I have Canadian crutches that I use, and they help me get around. Um, so if I have to walk a long ways, I'll still use my crutches. But I am not in a wheelchair, despite being told I'd be in a wheelchair forever. I can walk. I work out. I started working out like in the hospital bed. I actually had the doctors and I was like, I need a pull-up bar installed over my hospital bed. (laughs) Like I I knew I need fitness really helped me get through a lot that not just the act of moving my body to release endorphins, but it, it really made me feel like I was moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't but, mean to cut you off. You were talking about radical acceptance of your for shame resilience. So yeah. do you mean like radical acceptance of where you were at, like your circumstances? 
Yeah. And I, not, not even where I was at with my circumstances, but radical acceptance for the way I looked. And that's where the, a lot of the shame came from was I was so like, I would walk, people would look at me and gasp. People would look at me and I would see kids like with their eyes wide open and point and whisper to their parents. And, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so ugly. And so what really helped with that was about a year after my accident, um, I thought, you know, this is not working out that I need to go ahead and just amputate my leg. So I, I had this big plan of all these treatments aren't working. So I'm just going to go to the doctor who saved my leg and ask him to amputate it. And I walked in and I said, Hey, Dr. Wiss, I really appreciate you and all these surgeries done that you've done to save my leg, but we need to go ahead and cut it off because it's giving me too much pain. It's ugly. And he goes, well, we can't do that. He goes, it could make the CRPS get worse. It could spread. And he did something that changed my life. He sat down in front of me and he put my leg in his lap. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's putting my ugly deformed leg on his nice white coat. And he looked at my leg like it was a masterpiece, like it was a work of art. And I thought, wow, if he can look at my leg like that, maybe, just maybe I can learn to look at it that way too. And something shifted in me. And so I started every day being grateful that I still had my leg and grateful that I could walk and grateful for my body and the way that it healed and um, started to just try, be willing to try and love my leg and love myself. And little by little, I replaced shame with gratitude. That shame, I just shined a light on it. And I remember for the first time being proud of my leg and walking out in public and just owning all my scars and looking at them like, wow, this is the battle that I have won. Look at what I've overcome. And there's something about when you can be in complete acceptance for your flaws or your imperfections and you can just own who you are it just changes everything. I could start to stand in my power. And I remember starting to share things on social media. And I remember one day I was at the beach and I took a picture. Uh, I looked down and I took a picture of my legs and I wrote on the cap. I wrote across it like screw perfect. I would rather be courageous And that still today is one of my most shared, liked, engaged posts that I've ever done on Instagram. And I realized so many of us have things that we feel shame about or whether it's outside scars or inside scars. I mean, I was sexually abused as a kid. I was in an abusive relationship and got divorced. There was a lot that I had of shame and I realized that I had run from my whole life, like literally ran. I was a runner. I used to teach people how to pace themselves for marathons. And it was suddenly when I was in this hospital bed and I couldn't run, 
all these feelings of shame that I had ran from all were like in my face and I had to learn how to, to heal that. And so I think the first thing that you can do if you have shame is like be in radical acceptance, then really shine a light on it and start to slowly just be willing to love those parts of yourself and reach out to others because so many of us have those same feelings. And when you know you're not alone in that journey, it gives you strength. I think that connecting with other people, I couldn't, you know, I I wouldn't be sober if I didn't have my God squad or my sober sisters or my legendary ladies. These are all, and, and my Bible study, like I've got groups of women, strong women that I surround myself with that help me. So I think that's the first step is just really being in acceptance and shining a light on it. Yeah. It reminds me of um, when Brene Brown talks about orphaning parts of ourselves, and that's when we really start to, you know, quote unquote, hustle for our worthiness. And it's the, it's a cesspool for shame when we orphan these parts of ourselves and these stories and, and albeit like many of the circumstances it's understandable that people would want to hide it, you know, sexual abuse or disfigurement or things like that. So I'm, I, I, you know, I don't think, and I think I can speak for you when I say like, we're not saying it's, it's, there are some stories that are so bad, they should be hidden. And it also not saying that it's easy. Like I'm sure that telling your story and posting that picture online and really facing the pain and heartache of some of the things that you have faced have been excruciating. Nobody escapes that. So I've been using Dipsy for a while now. And one of the things I realized is that if you are someone where you feel like sex and maybe your sexuality is a little bit complicated or a lot complicated just based on our conditioning and how we were raised in this culture, which I talk about a lot over here, this is perfect for you. It's a really amazing and gentle entry point because Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. And new content is released every single week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have wellness sessions, sexy stories that you can read. They have sleep stories if you need that to help you unwind and relax. And for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial totally free when you go to dipsystories.com slash kickass. That is 30 days of full access for absolutely $0 for free. If you go to dipsystories.com slash kickass, dipsystories.com slash kickass. Yeah, it was hard. And I don't recommend anybody posting things that they're have shame about or embarrassed about until they've really done the work of really healing it. Because Mm -hmm. let me tell you, have a support squad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because let me tell you, I do not recommend that because social media can be brutal. Right when the pandemic hit, my daughter got on TikTok. And I was like, oh, what is that TikTok? She's like, oh, mom, you are too old for TikTok. You do not need to be on TikTok. And I'm like, well, then I'm definitely going to be on TikTok. And I remember putting my tap shoes on for the first time. So it was 10 years after my accident. I didn't know if I could still tap or not, but tap used to be, tap dancing used to be one of my favorite things. It was something that 
I worked so hard at and I got really good. I was really good at it. I love tap dancing. <laughs> oh, I love it. And I put on my tap shoes, I flipped the camera over and I did a TikTok video and I was like, this is the first time I I have put on my tap shoes since my motorcycle accident and I had 34 surgeries to save my leg. And that video, like, I don't know if it's, you would call it viral, but it's got like 800,000 views. And my daughter was like, oh my God, mom. I'm on TikTok now. You post one video and you've got 800,000 views. You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. But I, the comments that I got, like someone said, don't post stuff like that. I was eating and almost threw up. If I had not done the work and I did not completely accept my flaws and scars and who I was, that probably would have crushed me. But because it, it really didn't, didn't affect me in that way. I just kind of chuckled at it. And in fact, I did another video after that. And I was like, Hey, there's always going to be haters out there, whatever, like own who you are and love yourself no matter what. And, but I think it's really important to do that inner work. And so I, I have a there, I still have a therapist. I've got a coach, you know, it's like, I think we need others to help us along the way. Um, and, and the same thing, like I have a mastermind for women, but I also invest in a mastermind and I'm a part of another mastermind. I am a coach, but I also have a coach. I am a sponsor. I also have a sponsor. Um, so it's very important, I think, to to have those people, especially the five people that we really hang out with all the time. Like, I think it's important to have a cheerleader, to have someone that you can to lean on when times are tough, to have someone who is like, well, hold your feet to the fire, will challenge you and say, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Uh, you know, I think it's really important to have those people in our life that uh, we can really count on. Yes. We talk about that a lot over here too. And and the journey that it takes to find those people and the communication that it takes to to get what you want and ask for what you need and all that, all that stuff that goes along with it. In your keynotes and things like that, you talk about resilience and and grit. And you've talked about expressing gratitude and radical acceptance around resilience. So do you look at resilience and grit as the same thing or how do you differentiate those two? No, I think there's a big misconception of grit. I had it wrong for a long time. So for me, grit was just keep working hard, just focus more, just post more, just do more, just be more, suck it up, keep going, just push through the pain. And I realized that it that's not what grit is like grit that's is hustle to me like that's yeah that's and and there productivity. is like, <laughs> yeah hustle and pulling up your bootstraps and just suck it up that was what grit was to me and i've really redefined grit as and resilience is what resilience is grit plus connection when we just have grit and we're just sucking up sucking it up. It just means that we have exhausted all other avenues and ways of doing things. And we feel like we have to solely rely on ourselves. But if we add grit plus connection, that is when we have resilience. I think that success is built on relationships. I think that sobriety 
is built with connection, meaningful connection. And um, I think that when we can apply grit and really connect with others, that's how we're resilient. And I don't think that resilience is bouncing back. I think that resilience is deciding to move forward with courage and live a life of joy and happiness, no matter what our circumstances are. I look at it as a combination of of several things too. And I think that your story is is a great example of grit because it would have been easy, not necessarily, I mean, of course it would have been easy for you to give up when, um, when you had your accident, but it also would have been easy and you had such a noble excuse to pull way back. Do you know what I mean? Like just to Oh, I think people would have understood if 100%. I gave up. It'd be yeah. like I don't blame her. She's you been have a through physical hell. disability. You went through this major traumatic event, physically, emotionally, mentally. I would never judge anyone like, <laughs> for doing that. But I think that there are certain people who who use that as almost like a challenge or a jumping off point and feel like in their bones that they were made for bouncing back from extreme circumstances like that. And I don't think that one person is better than the other. I, I don't at all. I just think that it's it's your destiny to have a ton of grit like you did to be able to use it as a jumping off point and get up on stages and talk about it. But it's not for everyone. Like I tell people, especially when they're in recovery, like I, I don't recommend that everyone start a podcast and start talking about your dirty laundry. Like it's definitely not for everyone. But I, the point that I'm trying to make is I honestly do not think that one person is better than the other who chooses a life of immense grit and one that doesn't. I just think it's either in your destiny or it's not. Maybe a different lifetime. You'll have a different kind of grit. You know what I mean? Everything that we go through kind of prepares us for what we're destined for. I mean, we don't always get all our goals. We don't always get all our Mm -hmm. dreams, but we do get our destiny. When I was in my 30s, I feel like I had a little bit more grit than I do now. And it's not that because I was hard on myself for a while and I'm like, what's going on? Is it because I'm getting older? Is it this, you know, autoimmune thing that I have? Like what's happening? And I'm like, oh, this is just my destiny. Like this is just like where I am right now. And it's okay if I'm not, you know, creating, I, I know that like the buzzword for a while was like, oh, we need to create generational wealth for our children and our grandchildren. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you do? Like yeah. as a woman, this is this that 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 became kind of the bar. And when that happened a few years ago, I was like, I'm out. Like that, <laughs> you I'm passing the baton. Y'all can do that if you want, but I'm gonna be over here in my lane. This is my destiny to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that once you can have that radical acceptance of your own destiny, like your own role as a leader. I for me that's kind of when everything changes. I know we kind of got off track. I went on a little soapbox there. Well, I I mean, I think it's so so true. We have to stay in our lane and do what's right mm-hmm. for ourselves. And I'm I'm right there with you though, as far as like I, I learned a lot actually in this, even this past year. Like I said, I was always I, I looked at myself as, oh, I'm really good at grit and what that was and the hustle and I had to redefine what that was. I really think, you know, endurance fails when you react with persistence, but endurance works 
when you respond to willingness and you just one day at a time, keep doing your best, trying to be a good human, trying to be a good person, do the right thing. I just this couple of weeks ago did all this blood work did all I mean I was I, they took like 15 tubes of blood and I was spitting in test tubes to just see where I was and what was going on because my hair was falling out and I just wasn't feeling good the doctor said hey your thyroid's not working he goes I, I don't know how you're doing what you do your thyroid's not working your cortisol levels are like through the roof. Your adrenals are almost to fatigue, almost to no turning point. You've got to... And I love that he's like not trying to prescribe a bunch of medication to me. He's like, we need to incorporate... Like, I know you have... He goes, and this isn't uncommon for high achievers or I I deal with a lot of peak performance people, a lot of type A people. He goes, but you have to make some lifestyle changes and it was this year, like I used to think I got to just work harder. And it's like, no, I'm tired. I don't want to be in fight or flight anymore. I want to be in flow. And so my, actually my next keynote I'm doing, I'm talking about flow and what that looks like instead of being in fight or flight and armoring myself up to like fight through the day and calling myself a CRPS warrior. I I don't want to be a warrior anymore. (laughs) I want to be in flow. Uh (laughs) I want to be in flow. And so I've really made a lot of changes and I went through actually, and I canceled a ton of interviews that I had for my, my podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, I started saying no to a lot of things that were coming my way. And, you know, it was a lot different because when my, our books came out at the same year, I think yours came out in 2018. Mm -hmm. My second book came out in 2018. And mine came out in 2018. And I had a publicist that said, you say yes to everything, whether it's a blog, an interview, whatever, you just say yes. And so I was saying yes to everything. I was flying all over the country for free to speak at events for free. I was doing interview after interview. I remember my book launched. I was on the Today Show and Megan Kelly was interviewing me and my husband and daughter went to New York with me. And I did not leave the hotel room for two days because I, my husband would come in and like throw a sandwich at me and leave because I was back to back interviews from the hotel room. And I remember leaving after two days and actually looking up in the hotel lobby for the first time and being aware of where I was. I I was so like just in the zone. And I'm like, that's, I don't, I, I know there's a time there's seasons where we do have to work a little harder, but not to the point of like destroying our health or losing our mind, you know, our mental health, our physical health is everything. And, you know, it was like, that was what cost me my, my sobriety when I lost my sobriety for a day, um, was I had started just doing way too much. And so now I'm like, Nope, I want to be in flow, which looks like, you know, the acronym for me is frequency, love, optimism, and wonder. So, 
How can I be in a high vibe environment, like raise my frequency, be around people who raise my frequency? How can I love my life more, love what I'm doing, love myself, love others more? How can I really be optimistic and really feed my vision with positivity? And how can I look at every situation with wonder and curiosity? And so that's what I'm doing more of now. A lot of people don't like when you say no and you can disappoint people, but ultimately if we are not our healthiest, then we can't serve others. And I had a good friend of mine tell me, she's like, Amberly, your impact is only as strong as you are healthy. And that really shook me to the core. It's like, if I'm not healthy, how can I serve others? And so I always say, you know, keep your cup full. You get to have this full cup. The overflow of the cup is for others, but what's in the cup is yours. And so I do my best to really keep my cup full. And then whatever the overflow is, I want to give to others. I want to serve others. And that's how I feel fulfilled is when I get to serve others, but I can't do that if I'm not healthy. Yes. So much. Yes. I appreciate you so immensely. I'm so glad that I got to hear some of your story. We this could be like a four hour um, interview, but I know that that would that would not probably fill your cup. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but your story is so inspiring, and in that you just continue to keep getting up. I mean, it's like that that proverb of fall down seven times, get up eight times. And I uh, appreciate you. So you're at Amberly Lago. Is there anywhere else that you want people to go? to learn more about you. My favorite thing to do is to connect with others. And so please reach out to me at amberlylago.com is where you can find my book, my mastermind, my upcoming events that I'm so excited. I'll be in North Carolina Yay, and I hope I get to here. see you. To these parts. Oh yeah. It's in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can find out more about that at truegritandgrace.com. And yeah, just Instagram is Amberly Lago Motivation. But yeah, reach out. I love connecting with others. So just want people to know you're not alone. If you're struggling, reach out to me. I'll help you any way I can. Definitely not alone. Thank you so much. All of those links will be in the show notes for this episode. And everyone listening, thank you so much for your time. I know how valuable it is. And I appreciate that you choose to spend it with uh, me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes, andreaowen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed.